This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as the Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled, Don't Love the World, and it comes from 1 John 2, 15 through 17. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with the tax-deductible gift, so won't you do that today? You can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648, and there they can take your information safely and securely over the phone. Or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Or if you have the WMER app, you can give tax-free through the MER app. Just hit the Donate button. Your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS-approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now, your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between radiobibleclass.podbean.com, or catch us wherever you consume your podcast, whether that's iTunes or Google or Amazon or Spotify. We're there, too. Just search for WMER. Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. So we've been studying for the last several weeks out of 1 John, and we're going to cover again more out of 1 John over the next several weeks. But just to give you a quick review, if you remember we first started off, John was writing this so that the folks that were reading this letter would not sin. That was the purpose. We actually see that in verse 1 in chapter 2. And that's one of the purposes of this letter. But he says at the very beginning that I walked with Jesus. He talks about his credibility and why they should believe what he's about to say. He's addressing Gnosticism that has worked its way into the church. And he's saying that, listen to me, because I was there. I heard him. I saw him. I touched him. And I can testify to the things that Jesus did. These other folks that are teaching to you, they weren't there. They're adding their gospel on top of the gospel. And then he got into walking in the light. He stated that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. In other words, there is no sin. He says that if you have fellowship with him, then you walk in the light. You don't walk in the darkness. And so he's addressing the sloppy Christian living that's been going on because of the Gnosticism. Again, I told you very beginning that Gnosticism taught that the flesh was weak and you could do whatever you wanted to as long as your spiritual life was okay. It didn't matter what the flesh did. It was all about the spiritual. But that's not what John's saying and that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches us that we have to live a godly life, a righteous life. Now, are we going to sin? Yes. But do we willfully sin? No. And even we talked about that. Paul addressed this even with the Corinthians and the Romans. So, again, this has been addressed all through the New Testament that we are to strive to live a righteous life. And we do that because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We don't do it to be saved. We do it because we are saved. 
And so he says that God is light and in him there's no darkness. And if we have fellowship with him, then we walk in the light. But if we don't walk in the light, then we walk in darkness. And then we're not really telling the truth. We're lying to ourselves and to the world that we're not saved. We need to look at our lives and get that sin out. And again, that walking in darkness means living a life of sin. Again, just like I said, we're going to sin. Nobody's perfect. There was only one perfect person, and he died on the cross so that we have a way back to a righteous and sinless God. But he's saying that we can't choose to sin and openly live in sin. And of course, he also addressed that if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. And so again, there's multiple confessions, but the first confession really cleanses of all our sins. And then as God shines his light on us and we see dark spots in our life, then we confess those sins and he cleanses us of those. And then we got over into chapter two. And again, he first said that I'm writing this to you so that you may not sin. So John's trying to clean up these young Christians and even some mature Christians. Last week, we even studied about him saying that we had a new commandment. It's really an old commandment that Jesus said that if we love him, we'll keep his commandments. And that's really what Jesus was saying, that we're to love God with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind. And again, even in this new commandment, he talked about having the light. He said anyone that says that they have the light in them and hates their brother is still in darkness because light is God and God is love. And that's his most strongest character. So how can you hate your brother and have light in you is what he's saying. How can you have God in you and you hate your brother? And then he wrapped up saying that there was three types of Christians that he was writing to. Little children, fathers, and young men. And we covered each of those. Well, today he picks up and he goes back into do not love the world. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 15. I'll be reading out of the ESV. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but of this world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And so let me start off by saying these three short verses are packed with a lot of content. And John is really saying that you can't love both. You can't love the world and love God. And so we need to test ourselves. And that's what John's challenging us is to test ourselves to know that we know God and that we have eternal life. And that is that we keep his commandments. We serve the Lord fully, confessing our, our sins that when we slip up. And then the second test is if we love our brothers and sisters, we will not cause trouble or division you know, we won't be an irritant to them. As a matter of fact, he says, when we love each other, we serve each other. So really, those are the first two tests he gave us in chapter one and the first half of chapter two. And our next test is that if we're disciples, then we're not to love the world. And he says that in verse 15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father's not in him. You do not have the Father's love in you if you love the world, because you can't love both. It's impossible for us to love both of them. We like to think we can love both of them, but we can't. Matthew 6, 24 tells us that. 
No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now you can say money, or you could say the world. I'm not adding that. If you go look at the Amplified Version, it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money or possessions or fame or status or whatever is valued more than the Lord. And that would be the world. Paul also addressed this in 2 Timothy 4.10. He says that Demas, in love with the present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is intimacy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Now, that word enmity is really saying that you are an enemy of God. And James paints a picture here, really, of marriage. He calls us an adulterer. And again, that image is that I can tell my wife that I love her, but if I also try to love another woman, she should accept me because I love her and I love the other woman, but I love both of you. I think all of you agree that's not going to work out. See, we can't have a divided heart or a divided interest. We're married to Christ, just like I'm married to my wife, and that excludes all others. And that excludes the world when I'm married to Christ. And this is why God calls our unfaithfulness in the Bible adultery. For example, turn over to Jeremiah 2, uh, starting in verse 23, where God is speaking through Jeremiah and he's telling Israel that you are an unfaithful wife. Verse 23, you say that's not true. I haven't worshipped the image of Baal, but how can you say that? Go and look into the valley of the land. Face the awful sins you have done. You are like a restless female camel desperately searching for a mate. You're like a wild donkey sniffing the wind at mating time. Who can restrain her lust? Those who desire her don't need to search, for she has gone running to them. When will you stop running? When will you stop panning after other gods? But you say, save your breath. I'm in love with these foreign gods, and I can't stop loving them now. Israel is like a thief who feels shame only when he gets caught. They, their kings, officials, priests, and prophets, all are like this. And so what we're seeing right here is that God is speaking through Jeremiah and he's telling them that you're like an adulterous wife. You're chasing after these other gods. I don't have time to go through all of it, but if you go through Deuteronomy, you're going to see where God gets on to Israel about their idolatry. And that, again, he's saying that you're an adulteress. You're cheating on me with other gods. If you look over at Ezekiel, God describes his marriage relationship with Israel and he does that like a beautiful woman, full of promise, who eagerly entered into the marriage with him, vowing to him as she agreed to the covenant. But then we see uh, later in that 16th chapter of Ezekiel that under the test of life, she didn't behave like the faithful wife. She quickly broke her vow to be submissive to God and to him alone. Unfaithful behavior is worse than the common street harlot. And so John is reminding them that they are not to love the world or the things of the world. And then if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, this may make you ask, 
well, how can I not love the world? I live in it. Isn't it better than just floating in space? I mean, I, I eat because of the world, the, the plants that are grown, the animals that are there. I enjoy the weather here on earth. How can I not love the world? And even some of you Bible scholars may say, didn't the Lord tell us to, he gave us the world and he gave it to us to enjoy. He gave us the beautiful country. He gave us the fruits to eat. And he told us to do that, to be fruitful, multiply, that we were over dominion of the waters and the, and the land and the sea and the animals. Well, yes, all that's true. But see what he's saying about loving the world doesn't mean that we don't appreciate the beauty of God's creation, that we can go on a hike and that's okay. We can go on a safari and watch all the animals that we we can go out for a hunt. Uh, we can go out and enjoy recreation in the outdoors, whatever that is. But we are not to put it above God. You might go, well, Tim, I, I'm not, I don't have that problem. Some of you have a problem because you've put the fruit of your labor ahead of God. Some of you have put your family above God. Spent, you're trying to live your life through your children and you put them through things. You keep them from church. And you might go, well, Tim, going to church won't get me to heaven. Let me ask you this question. If I was married to a woman and all of a sudden we don't see each other for a long period of time, what do you think is going to happen on that relationship? Even if I talk to her, if I'm not around her, if I'm not fellowshipping with her, we're going to have problems over after a period of time. And so staying away from the church, staying away from putting God first is when we start loving the world. And it doesn't happen all at once. We don't make the conscious decision to put God below us, but we kind of do. We just say, well, it won't hurt this one Sunday. And before you know it, it's several Sundays. All of a sudden, we quit reading our Bible because I got a lot going on at work right now. I've got a lot going on in my life, so I don't have time to read the Bible. And so we put it off for a day. That day becomes a week. That week becomes a month. And before you know it, we're not in God's Word. We're not praying with Him. We're not going to church. And we look the same as the world looks like. So that simple decision all of a sudden became a big problem. Remember, Jesus taught this in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you love the Lord with all your heart, do you think you will miss church? Do you think you'll put other things over church? Do you think you'll put other things over God? I don't think so. If you love the Lord your God with all your soul and with all your might and all your mind, you're going to make sure that God is first. But the problem is we want to love God after we love ourselves. We want to say, I earned this. And where is the focus on that statement? It's on us. It's not on God. We don't have God first. We have us first. We put man first. And that's what we're talking about when we say love the world. But now look how he continues in verse 16. He says, For all that's in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the, and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it's from the world. So let's dive into each of these three little subsections that he created. How many of you would agree that the flesh is a vacuum that never gets satisfied? It's always wanting more. The more you get something, the more you want more of it. And if we feed the flesh, it also becomes consuming. It overtakes. The flesh wants everything exciting. It wants the best food. It wants material stuff. It wants sexual pleasure. 
And so we're always formulating evil ways to satisfy that craving. We don't care what we have to do to get that. We just want to get it. We want the best of life. You know, sometimes our morals we set to the side just this one time. Sometimes we will kind of shun a friend or we'll step on a friend as a stepping stone to get what we want. But you know what the Bible says about the flesh? Galatians 5.17, turn to that with me. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And they are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things you wish. And what I want you to understand is that God did create us with a desire for food so that we don't starve to death, for water, shelter, even sex and comfort. But when we let fleshly desires rule us, taking priority over God's will, they cause us to violate God's righteousness. They become a lust. For example, hunger propels us to find food. Eating is good. It's not a sin. Jesus ate and drank when he was on earth. But when hunger becomes a lust for food, it turns into gluttony, which is a sin. That's overeating, and it creates health problems. When the natural sex desire is taking out of marriage, or even worse, when it turns perverse, it leads to things like adultery, fornication, homosexuality. All those sins that are related to sex are done because they're outside the bonds of marriage, which God instituted and created. The second thing that John addresses is the desires of the eyes. The desires of the eyes get us in all kinds of trouble. When we see things that we want, we have to have it. We often lack self-control. Again, that's that lust that I was talking about. We see it and we want it. And there's no such thing as having discipline when we get this craving for it. This got David in trouble. If you remember, he was walking out on the balcony. He saw Bathsheba over there bathing. Now, she probably should have had some way to cover her, but he sees her, he lusts after her, and he has someone to go get her. And so he had his way. He fed that lust, the desire of his eye. But it's not just about sex. It can also be enticed by materialism. We have to rise higher than the mere decision process. We look at it and it looks good. I like what I see my neighbor has. I like that house. I want it. I like that car. I want it. And all of a sudden, we start wanting things and the devil tempts us with that, just like he tempted Eve. Remember, she thought the fruit looked good and the devil came whispering in her ear. And so a lot of times we make life decisions based on how it looks. We cripple ourselves from being able to give to others and give financially because we spent our money on our desires. Making decisions based on how appealing it is to the eye. And that leads us in the wrong relationship. It leads us to a worldly relationship instead of a relationship with God. What I can promise you is the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes will bring sin repeatedly. And the third thing he says is that the pride of life. The idea is that pride that comes from with what people told to acquire. That's why some translation use the pride of possession, while others use the pride of one's lifestyle. See, this reflects in whatever status symbol is important to you or to me. It seems that whether it's a possession or whether it's a lifestyle, the pride that comes along with us having that. And you know who teaches us this pride? 
the world teaches us. Our society teaches us that we should be proud of what we have. The world says you should be proud on who you are and what you've accomplished. Take pride in your status. And so we may wear particular clothing for status or drive a particular car for status. We may have a particular job for status. One of the greatest dangers we have of falling into sin is by finding our value in our work. Our world tells us that you're only worth whatever you do for your job. And that's why mothers who stay at home are criticized as being lazy. They work harder than anybody, but they're criticized as lazy people. The world is all about status. Listen to what the Bible says about women. Titus 2, 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, so training the young women to love their husband and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home. Did you hear that? Working at home, kind and submissive to their own husband, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, there's nothing wrong with working outside the home if you're a woman, but it's okay to be a stay-at-home mom and don't let the world tell you otherwise. The world spits on teaching like this, though. It says that your status as a woman is to be stronger than your husband. Ignoring the home. Show your strength. Run the show. Be the powerful one. But God's word disagrees, and God disagrees strongly. For us men, the world tells us that our status is in long hours, having a power job, bringing home large amounts of money, possessing all there is to own in the world. People will say, look at him. He's winning. I want to be like him. So you have to have new cars regularly. You need to flaunt your wealth. You need to show your status. But God says that your status is found in loving your wife as God loved the church. That's in Ephesians. God says your status is being a father to your children. That's in Ephesians 6. God says your status is being a provider to your family. That's in 1 Timothy 5. Your identity is in Christ. We lose our identity when we find our status in the world, when we find our status in the job. When we value things of the world, then we lose our identity in Christ. I'm just about out of time, so i got to move on. I'll wrap this up, though, by saying all the glory for everything we have belongs to God, not to ourselves. Everything we enjoy is because God has graciously given it to us. It's all his. He's just loaned it to us. So give him the glory instead of you trying to take it. Now look at verse 17 with me. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John sums it up right here. He concludes this little section by telling us why it's foolish to love the world. The point's very simple. Everything in the world is passing away. Why take joy and pride in such fleeting pleasures? Nothing in this world is going to last, nor will you be able to take it with you once you pass on. John is bringing them back to a godly focus, but the world tries to distract us from this. John says that the will of God abides forever. Eternal joy and eternal satisfaction is found in seeking the ways of God. Everything else is just a short-term pleasure. The fulfilling of the desires of the flesh are momentary, and they're fleeting. Sexual immorality sounds fulfilling, but it disappears in minutes. Letting the desires of our eyes lead us is fleeting. Tomorrow's like a new toy that comes out, and the toys that we're collecting either break or they sit in the corner they're no longer important. 
the status symbols of the world lose their status. Only one of the best cars in, in the world is no longer top of line. Next year will roll out and there'll be something better. What are you accumulating this status for? Someone that you don't know who drives by and you're trying to impress, but are you impressing God? As a matter of fact, the true followers of Christ, you're not impressing them either. So a few neighbors might think you have it all together. They may want to be like you. But let me ask you this. What will that do for you in the end? All these things are efforts in futility, and they do not last, and they don't really matter. The love of the world leads us away from the Lord. It leaves us away from a godly mindset, and it takes our focus off of Him and back on ourself. Amount of time, so let me close right here, that if we don't run away from the lust of this world, if we fall in love with the world, will be swept away with the world that is passing away and all the lust that got us there. John told us in verse 15 that if we love the world, then the love of the Father is not in us. This is another test, just like the test, do you have the light in you? Do you love others? Do you love the world? That's the third test that we have. You may have never thought about it like this, but loving the world really means that you don't believe that God knows what's best for you, that he's trying to cheat you out of something. He's trying to cheat you out of what you deserve. And sadly, that thought soon blossoms into us willingly disregarding God's warning altogether and taking whatever Satan has to offer to us. Love of the world started back in the Garden in Eden, and it continues today. Already alluded this. Eve saw the fruit. The eyes made her think of it being good. And what made them think that this fruit was good? Because God didn't tell them that. In fact, he warned them that they would die if they ate of the fruit. But Eve believed the serpent's lie, and Adam followed suit as well. And Satan continues to propagate this lie. But you don't have to fall prey to it. If you love God... And you remember that the world is opposed to everything that God stands for, that it's spiritually dead. It's void of the spirit. That's out of John 14, 7. Morally defiled, dominated by pride and greed and evil desires. It produces wrong opinions. It's selfish. It has sinful pleasures. It's demoralizing. It has corrupt politics. It has empty honor. And it has fickle love. See, you don't have to fall for that when you think about what the outcome is, even for that short-term pleasure by doing what the world says. What we've seen today is that you can't love the world and God at the same time because love can't have a rival. It's going to give one of the objects first place. And that's why it, God is teaching us that we have to love him and not the world. Galatians 1, 3-5 tells us that Jesus gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us out of this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom the glory is forevermore. Christ died to deliver us from Satan's evil system. What greater motivation should we have than to reject the world and live for God's glory? Do you love the world, or do you love God? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today, Lord. We thank you for our time together. Lord, right now, I pray for the one that showed up today and they've gotten off course. They may have loved you and all of a sudden they slowly made simple decisions that 
has allowed Satan to get a hold on their life and they're not where they used to be. Lord, I pray today that they would ask for forgiveness. They'll lay it at your feet. Lord, I know there's things that as I was going through this lesson and writing this lesson, Lord, that you spoke to me about that I've laid at your feet. Lord, you know who needs to hear this and that's why we're teaching this on this particular day for those that listen to it. Lord, I pray right now for the one that may be listening that doesn't know you at all. Lord, I pray that they would believe on your finished work. Lord, they would believe on how you went to the cross and you paid the ultimate sacrifice for our sin. But not only that, you overcame death and we have an eternal hope with you because of that. And Lord, they'll believe on your finished work. Lord, they'll confess you and make you Lord of their life. And they'll chase after you following your commandments. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We're going to give you all the honor and glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.